Well, good morning, everybody. Yeah, I, uh, um, yeah, I lived in St. Louis a while back and um, helped get that church going um, the first year and moved to Michigan and worked at a church and moved to Springfield, Illinois after a few years and planted a church uh, in Springfield. And at that time, uh, your pastor, Steve, was working um, in St. Louis, and so we kind of crossed paths a little bit. He was a younger man then. He was an old grandpa like he is now. So congratulations to him and his whole family, right? That's cool. That's cool. So, um, yeah, I'm really thankful to be here, really thankful for the partnership with this church, the ministry that you guys are doing. Um, it's just really neat. Um, you know, so safe families, as you hear a little bit, you know, we use this tagline, right? Um, Surrounding families in crisis with caring, compassionate community. Um, and it's really about mobilizing the local church to love people who need to be loved, love people who are lonely. Um, and so, you know, just the, the support and the prayers you guys give is really valuable. I mean, we're keeping kids safe. We help keep kids out of foster care. Families help to stay together. It's a really, really kind of neat thing. So we really appreciate it. And just so you understand, um, you're part of a really big movement, okay? Um, there's a lot of safe family stuff going on. We, we're 15 years old this year. Um, and across our 15 years, I mean, some really neat things have happened. Um, we are in 70 major cities across the country with 108 chapters. Um, we're in three countries, actually. Uh, we've, in the U.S. alone, we've hosted over 35,000 kids over the last 15 years. Uh, and today, with Safe Family Sunday and through the rest of this month and into March even, over 500 churches, well over 500 churches are participating, doing something like this. Uh, over 100,000 people will be hearing about Safe Families and hopefully inspired and motivated uh, to get involved. Um, and it's just really, really incredible uh, to be part of a movement of the gospel. And so uh, I just, again, in that light, you guys are part of something really neat, okay? And I just really want to thank you for that. So, so uh, the whole theme for Safe Families uh, Sunday and Safe Families this year is live out love. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Open up to the book of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We're going to look at one verse right now, and then we're going to look at a bunch of other verses. Since, since this is second service, I can preach long, right? Is that how it goes? Yeah, there's always the nervous laughter. <laughs> Steve does that to us all the time. Um, so I won't, do, I won't go too late. So First uh, John chapter 3, verse 18. Here's our key verse. It says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You catch that? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's the word of the Lord for us today. Let's pray real quick before we jump in. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for your people. Thank you for Jesus I thank you for your spirit that's here. Lord, I pray that you just illumine this to us, um, that you teach us, that you motivate us as we unpack what this verse means in loving, in living out love. Lord, help me to speak your words, and uh, may we leave here differently um, than we came in. And may we leave here um, living more glorifying to you and, and being, um, being just your representatives here for the good of others and the good of this community and this world uh, that you love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, 
Okay, so here's the big, big picture. The big picture of this verse is that love does stuff. Real deep, right? Love does stuff. Love doesn't just think stuff. Love doesn't just theorize stuff. Love doesn't just talk about stuff. Love doesn't just feel stuff. Love does stuff. It does stuff. You see, this whole idea of uh, manifestation, making something real, making something felt, making something experienced. You see, when love is manifested toward another person, that person is affected in some very particular ways, very important ways. Love is always directed towards something, most often towards a person. So when that happens, a couple things happen. One, they are not left to wonder if they are sincerely cared about. When someone is sincerely the object of a manifestation of sincere love, they don't wonder if they're truly cared about. You know, have you ever felt you know, like you had an experience, an interaction with someone, and it went fine, but you just didn't really feel like they really cared, that you really mattered? You know, I think the best framework for this is maybe with our boss at work. Chances are you feel this way at work, maybe. You know, you, you could get a good performance review. Um, you, know, you, might get a, you might get a raise in your salary. But at the end of the day, does your boss really value you more than they value your productivity? Maybe they do. Maybe they do. But typically, you know, um, we felt that way sometimes. Uh, so when, you, when someone is truly loved, they don't wonder if they are sincerely cared for. The other thing is, when someone is truly loved, they are left more confident in their sense of value with you and your relationship and within themselves. See, love builds us up on the inside. Uh, listen, we all struggle. We all struggle with things of self-confidence, of shame, of insecurity, of our worth. We, we all struggle on some level with these things. You know, and, and a lot of those feelings stem back to this belief in us that we're just not good enough. And maybe we're unlovable because when we look back through our lives, there might have been one or two people that were supposed to really love us well and they just dropped the ball. Maybe because they weren't loved well. I mean, I don't know. There's all kinds of reasons. But we look back, and because someone significant in our lives dropped the ball with us, we're left with this, this feeling of maybe I'm just not good enough. It leads to all these things, okay? Um, but when, you know, so this whole idea of what was supposed to be encouragement in our lives has become discouragement that we carry with us for a long time. But when a person sincerely loves another, when the ball isn't dropped, your spirit is lifted, right? The burden is lifted a little bit that you carry from a heavy heart. Encouragement becomes the fuel for the day, for the challenges ahead. See, love does that. So the question is, really, what does it look like then? How is love 
manifested. How do we live out love? What is at the heart of doing stuff that fills people with value and encouragement? What's the heart of that? Well, all we have to do is look back two verses in 1 John 3 to find out. 1 John 3, 16. This is my favorite 3, 16 in the Bible, actually. 1 John 3, 16 says, By this we know love. You hear that? We know love. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's how we know love. You see, we know love. We can be confident in what it is. We can see it. We can experience it. And when we see and experience that true love, we can say, yes, that's it. I know that's it. I know that's it. You see, because the heart of love, the heart of it is in sacrifice. That's the, that's, that's the deepest heart of love. In setting aside yourself for the good of another, And this type of sacrificial love is supremely manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, you think about what happened during these last hours of Jesus' life. Think about this. Jesus washed the feet of the man who would betray him. That's sacrificial love. Jesus was on the cross and he prayed for forgiveness for the people who put him there. Jesus willingly gave his life in exchange for wretched sinners like you and me. And Jesus, through his death, reconciled us to the Father. We, who were by nature children of wrath and enemies of God. That is the love that Jesus has manifested for us. Isn't that amazing? I mean, let that sink in on you. You couldn't be further away, and his love still reached out to you. The power of his sacrifice on the cross has spanned across millennia to you and to me. Are you overwhelmed? By the love of God manifested in Jesus Christ towards you. Does it drive you to thankfulness? Does it drive you to worship? Does it drive you to your knees in gratitude? Does it drive you to a fullness of spirit, of confidence, assurance, and power? Because nothing can separate you from that love. Does it drive you to love others? Does it drive you to selflessness and sacrifice because that's how Jesus lived his life and died his death? 1 John 3.16 pulls it towards this. It says, because he laid down his life, we ought to lay down our lives. We ought. I'm going to poke in your lives a little bit. I'm the guest speaker in here. So I can shoot you with some things and let Steve and the guys pick up the pieces for you a little bit, okay? But here's some hard things we need to hear. Listen, you can gauge the level of God's love in you 
by how you respond to needs that are put before you. You catch that? You can gauge the depth of your love for God by how well you respond to needs to love others that you have the ability to do something about. Well, you say, well, I may not have the ability to do something about something. No, I fully disagree with you because you have the ability to do something about everything. You can do something about everything. Listen, there's two great commandments, right? Love God and love others. Two great commandments. The hard truth of the Bible is this. If you don't love people, you don't love God. Read the rest of 1 John and let it just punch you in the face a couple times because that's the consistent message it says. If you love God, you will love people. Now, you may not love them well. And I want to help you with that today. You, you may be immature. You may be a little directionless in loving others. So I'm going to give you a chance to grow. And I'm going to give you some direction today. You may believe that you are limited and you can't do what so-and-so or what Joe and Cheryl do. I'm going to encourage you that while we all are certainly limited in some ways, our God is limitless and could do far more than we could ever imagine through his spirit, through his community. Through him, you can do something about everything. So let me address one thing in this passage that some of you might be rolling around in your head. Okay, well, this passage, Ryan, he says, it says, we ought to love the brothers. So is this limited to the church? Is this limited to the brothers? And I'm going to say two things. On the surface, I'm going to say, yes, it's talking about that. But I want us to push a little bit below the waterline, a little bit below the surface, and back up a little bit. Because, listen, before we were brothers and sisters, we were a few other things. We were neighbors. We were strangers. We were enemies. You see... The question is, how does an enemy, how does a stranger, how does a neighbor become a brother, a sister, a member of the family of God? How does that happen? And it happens through love, everybody. This, really, it's, this isn't rocket science. It happens through love, specifically through living out love, not just talk or word, but in deed and in truth, by manifesting the love that was shown to us by God through Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. Now, we're going to look at four things today that are going to put some teeth in your life on how you can live out love, how you can manifest this, how you can do something about everything. Here's the first thing. It's going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. This is about willingly welcoming people into your life. 1 Peter 4, 9 says this. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Show hospitality without grumbling. Hospitality. This Greek word is xenophilia, which means the love of a stranger. Grumbling means complaining, means I just don't want to. It means what I hear from my kids every day when I ask them to clean the room or vacuum or take out the garbage. Right, my 12-year-old son, dude, the dirty clothes hamper is right there and your clothes are like right there. I mean, come on, help me out here, bro. I mean, this is a daily battle in my house. How do we do, how do we willingly welcome people? Well, before I give you some how-tos, we need to do some, some inside work with us. Because I want to ask you a question. How do you feel about people? What do you believe about people? Do you believe that every person has value? Every single one of them. Because that's what Scripture teaches. If you're going to willingly welcome people, you have to believe that everyone has value because they're human. Because they are image bearers of God. Okay? Listen, the world says, the world assigns value to things based on how much it costs, based on how useful it is. That's how the world defines value. That's not how God defines value. Now, and we all know this. We, we, we deeply know this. Here, and here's why I know we know this. Because I know the most valuable things in your life are the things with intrinsic worth. Your friends. Your spouse. Your kids. Right? It may be a place. It may be an item. But you know what? Those places and the items are tied to significant people. Significant moments in your life. They're not things that have a dollar sign on them. They have this intrinsic relational value. And the same is true with people. People have intrinsic value because everyone bears the image of God. I don't care where you are, what phase of life, what struggle for whatever, you have value because you are an image bearer of the Most High God. Listen, human value has nothing to do with race, age, gender, income, position, anything like that, but simply by being a creation of the creator. This is the foundation for loving people. Jesus loved people because he loved the Father. And so when he saw people, he saw the image of the Father in them. That's why he loved them. The, the other thing we need to understand with this whole idea of willingly welcoming people into our lives is understanding the power of belonging. The power of belonging. You see, belonging paves the way to belief. Paves the way to belief. Um, I had no interest in the Lord as a young teenager. No interest in the Lord. Christian family, went to church, you know, no interest in the Lord. Uh, until there was a time where a blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl invited me to go to church with her. I'm like, all right, well, that's cool. Um, and then when I got there, ladies, this is usually how it happens. If you invite a boy to church, you can do great things for God, okay? Um, no, but I got there, and um, really past her, there was, this whole, there was this whole group of people I met. These other students other 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds that 
gave me a place to belong. And I saw some real faith in them that I really had not seen up close and personal before. And because of that realness about them, because of the belonging that they opened up to me, that created a pathway for a dynamic spiritual life in me. They they were a gateway, so to speak. God uses belonging like that. And I want to think about the power of community in your life. Okay? I guarantee that each of you who believe in Jesus, who follow Jesus, have a story similar to mine about how there was a community that gave you a place to belong, where you felt welcome and accepted and you began to grow and you could ask questions and all that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you what, if you're not today a believer in Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're struggling in your faith, I'm going to guarantee you have a community issue in your life. You have some loneliness you're dealing with. You're not connected. You can't grow without being connected. You can't fully believe without fully belonging somewhere. These things go together. Okay? So, you know, we need to seek out people who are lonely and be friends with them. And one way, and we, we, need, to, and we need to keep in mind... Here's motivation for us. We keep in mind that each of us at one time were an outsider. Each of us were at one time were an outsider. You see, hospitality is welcoming the stranger. Making an outsider an insider on purpose. Biblical hospitality, loving the stranger, making an outsider an insider on purpose. Think about your best friend right now. Think about your spouse right now. Do you realize that they were a stranger to you at one point? And now they're an insider in your life. Okay, that's just how it works. And this is what Jesus has done for us. I love Ephesians chapter 2. Love Ephesians chapter 2. If you read verses 12 through 19, it tells us a wonderful story about how at one time we should remember... We were enemies. We were strangers to the promises. We were not a people. We were all these bad things. And then through the blood of the cross, Christ has drawn us near. So we're no longer strangers. We're no longer enemies. We're no longer outsiders, but we're insiders. We're family. Hospitality turns strangers into family. That's what it does. We need to remember that's who we were, and so that's what we do for others. So the first way we live out love uh, is by willingly welcoming people into our lives. The second way we do it um, is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. And it says, they, now it's talking about the rich right here. Um, this is Paul writing to, to Timothy, giving him instruction for his church. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now you're going to say to me, I'm not a rich guy. And I'm going to tell you, you have more money and more stuff than most of the world, so you're rich. Change your standards of how you measure that. You are rich. Generosity is a key trait of the Christ follower. And I want you to think about generosity in this light. Generosity is not just being willing to give, but it is giving without expectation or return. 
generosity, is giving without expectation for return. And how do we do that? We need to change how we think on some things. The first thing we need to change is this. Our stuff is not our stuff. We don't own anything. In fact, as Christ followers, we are the ones who are owned. Because the Bible says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. So everything about me and everything I have is not mine. It's all God's, and I'm to use everything about me and all my stuff for God's glory. This is what stewardship is. Stewardship is managing somebody else's stuff the way they want it managed. That's what God calls us to. What does this mean for you for your time? How you steward your time. What does this mean for you for your finances? How do you steward those according to God's measure? What does this mean for you for your home? How do you steward that? You see, we need to change our thinking that this isn't our stuff. This is all God's stuff. Um, I like to tell a story. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, in my neighborhood, we um, we run a bicycle club, and we live in an urban neighborhood up in Springfield, and um, you know a lot of poverty. And so, one thing my wife and I do in the summer is we help run some clubs, and and uh, and we do this bicycle club. And but one day we were in the middle of the summer, middle of bicycle club season. Uh, you know, going around with like 15 kids and a bunch of volunteers, and I go outside and someone broke into my garage and stole four of my bikes. Mine, my wife's, a couple of my kids. And I'm like, I got a bicycle club tomorrow. But here's the thing I realized. Wait, these aren't my bikes. These are God's bikes. I never got upset. It kind of, you know, the shock hit me. I'm like, oh, well, all right, God knows we need bikes. So God's going to provide bikes. Put a couple messages out there. We had bikes coming to us. Use my bike, use my bike. The great thing is, three of our bikes came back. Funny story is, I was driving in my truck, because I went around looking. You know, I'm driving around my neighborhood. I'm just looking to see, all right, do they, where, where could, is it in an alley or whatever? And I'm literally driving down the side street to my, my house is here, driving down the side street to get ready to go down the alley, pull around back. And the main thief of the ring of thieves was riding my wife's bike down the street right next to my house. I pull up next to him. I roll on the wheel. I'm like, dude, that's my bike. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And he actually pulled down the alley and returned it to my garage. It's crazy, right? Um, but listen, I was, I, was, I was able to say, you know what? I'm not going to freak out when things happen to my stuff because it's not my stuff. And if God is really in control, if he's really sovereign, which we believe, he's going to take care of all this stuff. He's going to work at all. It's a really great way to live. Um, which leads us to this whole idea of trusting the provider and not the provisions. It's another way we live generously. We trust the provider and not the provisions. Do you realize that blessings, the good things in your life, are more of a danger to your spiritual growth than hard things in your life? Because when we have a lot of good things, we become very self-sufficient and comfortable and satisfied. This is why Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel is to go through the eye of a needle. See, too, many, too much of a good thing is bad for us. But when we have hardship, gosh, that's what drives us to our knees. You know, when something rough happens in our life and we're, 
we become acutely aware of our smallness. And that is a time where we drop to our knees and we call out to the provider who's infinitely greater and bigger than we are. This is why the Bible says, blessed are the poor. Okay? You know, we, we, we need to be honest with ourselves about our short-sightedness because we, we want the immediate thing in front of us to make us feel okay. And here's why I know this happens to all of us, okay? Group confession time. How many people here have ever done retail therapy before? Come on, raise your hand. Yeah, I know, yeah. You're feeling down, oh, I'm just going to go buy something. Or for the rest of us, maybe we've done buffet therapy, right? Yeah, I see your hand right there. Thank you for your honesty. All the ways the college kids raise their hand on that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we, we kind of, we're very short-sighted. If I just get this thing, you know, then it's, I'm going to be okay. And we settle for the thing that's right in front of us, the immediate thing. We need to look past the immediate thing. And if the provider does not give us the provision that we think we need, we don't need that provision, maybe. Or maybe we don't need it right then at that moment like we think we do. Okay? We have to shift our thinking. We have to shift our thinking because Jesus tells us to live very open-handed. Right? He says, freely you have received, so freely give. He wants us to walk around like this. Some of us don't feel free to give, do we? We, 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 we feel restricted. We feel uh, in, a, in like this prison because we're upside down. We're upside down with our money. We're upside down with our time. We don't have any space or margin. We're upside down with our energy because we're running around like chickens with our heads cut off. We don't have space in our lives built in to really help and serve and love people. We can't be generous because we haven't managed our lives well enough to do that. Okay, but th those, those things are all fixable, but you, got, you have to see where you're at in that. So this whole idea of living out love, manifesting love, comes first through willingly welcoming people, through hospitality, generously giving to people, and thirdly, through sacrificially serving people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live check this out might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh i love these three verses and here's why because it shows us that Jesus' death, his ultimate sacrifice, right? Through that, we are empowered. Empowered. The, you, can, you can also interpret the word control here, for the love of Christ controls us, as compel. The love of Christ compels us, right? To not live for us. To not live for us. This verse... Verse 15, he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Jesus' death causes us to be selfless, not selfish. 
Cause us to live for him and not just stop there, but it, but it changes how we interact with people. Because the next verse down says, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. We're not going to look at the exterior things of their lives. We're going to see the image of God in them. And now we are empowered to love them by serving them. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Now, here's a couple ways we do this. First way is this. We need to kind of go out of our way to do things. If we're talking about sacrifice, right, that means we need to go out of our ways to do things. You guys are familiar with uh, the, the Good Samaritan, right? Parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. You know, the guy was walking down the road, got jumped by robbers, beaten, left for dead, bloodied, stripped, all that kind of stuff side of the road. Priest walks by, keeps walking. Levite walks by, keeps walking. But then a Samaritan comes by, sees a couple things. He stops. He's moved with compassion. He said, the scripture says he came to where the man was. He went to him. He went off his path and changed direction, went out of his way. Uh, I love verse 34. Let me read you verse 34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. So let's back up a little bit. Samaritan, traveling, doing his business, riding his animal. Riding a donkey, most likely. He sees the man, he stops, he gets off, goes takes care of him, so then he can put the man on the donkey. So what we need to understand is this. To be like the Samaritan... We need to get off our donkeys. We need to get out of our way, go out of our way to help. We see a need, we need to go meet that need. So we need to go out of our way. This other, whole other idea with sacrificially serving is we need to be honest with what we are least likely to want to share. I mean, we all have things about our lives and stuff in our lives that we don't want to share, right? Being selfish is very natural. I have five children. I have never had to teach any of them how to be selfish. That comes very naturally to them. I've had to teach them how to share. Now, the truth is, we never grew out of it. None of us share really like we should. Come on, let's be honest. Um, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married, right? I started to have, like, wait, i got to talk to someone all the time about before I do stuff or spend money on stuff, or right? Um, and then I had one, two, three, four, five kids. They want my wife. Wait a minute, it's my wife. You can't share my wife. They want my food. They want my money. I mean, and I realized I'm a selfish person, you know? Maybe you guys can agree with me on that. Here's what I want you to do. Just think for a moment. Maybe jot down. What's, what's precious to you? What do you have that's precious to you? Time? Stuff? I mean, whatever it is. Tell you what. The thing that, you, that is precious to you, that you have the hardest time sharing, is probably might where you should start. I'm just going just gonna to throw that out there. Maybe your home. Let's just talk about your house. All right, I'm talking about safe families. We host kids whose parents are struggling, right? A lot of people say, well, gosh, I've got to bring people into my house, a strange kid in my house. 
My house is my refuge. This is where I go to retreat from the, the world that's crazy, right? And it's stressful. Maybe you need to start attacking that a little bit. Maybe you need to have some people over for dinner. Start something small like that. Share your home. Maybe you need to host your small group at your house and let someone else's kid come in and mess up something. It's good therapy for you. It's good practice for you. But the whole idea is what you struggle with most is maybe that's a good place to start. Do something small. Build up on that. Okay? And oftentimes we've got to do the opposite of things. We've got to do the opposite of things. Um, Galatians chapter 5 is a great compare contrast. Works of the flesh through the spirit. When you become a Christ follower, I'll tell you what, it's a battle. It's a war you are in. You will be at war with the flesh in you. Right? Um, you guys, anyone watch Seinfeld? Remember Seinfeld? Okay, a couple of hands. You guys remember George? Remember the, remember the do the opposite episode? You know, where he realized every instinct about me is wrong. Look where it's got me. You know, and then there's this one scene, they're talking about this in the diner, and uh, this, this pretty lady looks over at him, and, and uh, Jerry's like, hey, you should do the opposite. If you, if you feel you shouldn't talk to her, you should do the opposite and go to her. And he goes over, over to her, and he's like, my name is George, I'm unemployed, and I live in my parents' basement. And she's like, well, hello. <laughs> we got to do the opposite. We got to make intentional efforts to do what's opposite to our natural inclinations. Our natural inclinations will serve us us. That's what our natural inclinations will do. We have to be intentional and go to war, lean into the spirit, ask for his help, and do the opposite of what our natural inclinations are. That's how we sacrificially serve in living out love. The last thing is this in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 16, the second half of the verse says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Now, you may say, okay, Ryan, I've been hearing your points, this whole hospitality thing, but I live in a one-bedroom apartment. I don't have space to welcome people in to my space. Okay? Not at this season. Okay. And you're saying, Ryan, okay, I understand the whole generosity thing, but in my life, there's often more month than money and I just don't have capacity to do that. I'm limited in my giving. Or you might say, okay, I, I get the sacrificial serving, but I'm in a really hard part in my life right now, and I feel like I'm the one that needs to be served. How can I do it? So I, I get there's barriers that you're feeling. But I'll tell you what, no matter what you're going through, what stage of life, you can pray. You can pray. You can always pray. You can always intercede and petition on behalf of another. Always. Prayer makes things happen. Prayer makes things happen internally in us. One of the biggest things prayer does is mold our hearts into God's hearts. Prayer does that. So... Um, you need to understand, this world is hard to love, but God loved it so much that he sent Jesus. And when you pray for the world, you begin to love the world like he did. Um, this last Wednesday night, I was teaching at my church. We're doing a prayer series, I was teaching on prayer. Um, but before I left, 
like an hour and a half before I was going to be on stage teaching, um, like an emotional volcano went off in my house over a couple of things. Okay, kids and wife and me. I mean, it was just kind of crazy, right? And so, and I'm like, I, you know, and so I'm leaving my house to go with all this and this argument and whatever, and I'm upset. I'm like, I'm going to study my notes and, you know, and I'm going over my notes, um, you know, at the, at the church on prayer. <laughs> and I get to this point, and I'm like, gosh, you know, I need to pray. We're in a battle. This is a spiritual war we're in. I started praying for my kids and praying for my wife in particular. And all the anger and the tension and all that, as I prayed for her, completely dissipated. And suddenly my heart was molded back to God's heart and love for her. Prayer changes us internally. And prayer changes things externally. Prayer makes things happen. The next verse in James 5 says, Elijah prayed for rain in the middle of a drought, and it rained. You see, when our hearts are molded to God's heart, we begin to pray for things according to his will. And when we pray those prayers, God loves saying yes and makes things happen. Prayer changes things internally and externally. And when you have the opportunity to pray, you need to pray as soon as you can. Don't, when you're talking to someone and you hear about a hard time they're going through, how many of us have said, hey, I'll pray for you, I'm going to pray for you. Okay, you know what? We need to repent of that laziness and apathy. Pray then. Let me pray for you now on the phone, over a text, whatever it is. Pray then. You want to talk about lifting someone's spirits right in the middle of their hardship? That's powerful. The the prayer of a righteous man has power as it's working. It's effective. I tell host families all the time that no matter what you tell me you want to host, we only want boys, we only want girls, we only want babies. We only want five, we, whatever you want. I said, listen, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to let you know about most every hosting that we have. Because the Holy Spirit might tap you on the shoulder and say, you know what, I know you said this, but I want that kid in your home. I want you interacting with that, with that parent. I'm not going to get in the way of God. Second reason I do that is this, because listen, I want you to pray about every kid, every hosting, every parent, every host family, every coach, Every family friend, every church community that will wrap around this family, pray for them. Because your prayers matter. They make a difference. Never underestimate the power of your prayer. And what we need to check our hearts with is this. The immediacy and expectancy of your prayers reveals your belief of the power of God. If you, don't, if you are not quick to pray, if you are not expecting to pray, there are some corners of your heart that are filled with some unbelief and what God can and will do. And we need to repent of those places in our hearts. Because our God is limitless and does all that he pleases. So we need to pray in ways that will please him, according for things that will please him. So Listen. We're talking about living out love. We're talking about everyone being able to do something about everything. So you can welcome people. 
You can be generous. You can sacrificially serve, and you can pray. Every single person in this room can and should be a Safe Families volunteer. But let me blow this up beyond Safe Families, because this isn't just about a ministry or program, everybody. I'm not here peddling something. I care about your spiritual lives with God and your effectiveness in this community. Because this world needs to see the church live this way in whatever way we can. With your neighbor, at your job, in the children's ministry, in, in community events, in foster care, in adoption, with the homeless. I don't care what it is. Do I want you in safe families? Of course I do. But God wants you to live this way. He wants you to live this way. This is what he created you for. So if you want to partner with us, I would love that. Fill the card out. Drop it off. Join the team. God's doing amazing things through us. But really, he has called you and empowered you to live out love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us all that we need for life and godliness. Thank you so much for the opportunity to Talk about your heart. Thank you for Jesus who perfectly did all this. Perfectly welcomed us. Perfectly was generous to us. Perfectly served us. Continues to pray for us. Help us just to live like that for your glory and for the good of this world who desperately needs you. We love you and I pray for this church. I thank you for them and bless everybody here. Draw them deeper in with you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.